Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Log Talk Radio.
while you puff that bitch your road. Sporting big love and gold, sipping on cognac when the weather's cold. Older ideas getting replaced by sharper visions. Making business decisions, buying spots on television. Everything is delicious, wouldn't have it no other way. They all gon' hate, but who gives a damn about what them haters say? Got a sink full of fish and shrimp, it's getting seasoned to perfection. About to feed all your folks, thanking God for the same connection. Imaginations are emotions, a killing during sleep, an experience of waking life, having two characteristics of a dream, a visionary creation of the imagination. Welcome to the Digital Meet and Greet, and I'm some guy named Jay. We'll be bringing on the uh, bringing on JT, the host, in a minute. That song that you just heard, well, you probably you already know what it is. Big Mike featuring Trey Mendes, "All a Dream," one of the classic joints from the mid '90s. I, I man, that that song brings back so much memories. Well, you know the featured artist on the track, we have him. Tonight for the digital meet and greet, and he's going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about everything. You know, we're not going to limit it to any. You know, because this man is brilliant. He, you know, he's not just uh, a music industry connect. He just he has a lot of knowledge in a lot of different areas, and you know, we're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about all of that. And um, and if you want to connect with them, if you want to talk to them about anything, anything, anything we talk about tonight during the digital meet and greet, it's welcome. Uh, if you're streaming from an app, a link, or a third-party website, just give us a call at 929-477-3872, and then press 1. Again, if you're on an app or a third-party website or a link or anything like that, just give us a call at 929-477-3872, and then press 1. If you're already streaming from the phone, all you have to do is just press one, and we'll bring you on. You get to talk to Trey Mendes, get to talk to me and JT. Um, and uh, yeah, let me go ahead and bring on JT, and then bring on the guests. Just a second. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. All right, JT. Yo, yo, what's up, Jay? Man, good to be back on the digital meet and greet. Oh yes, true indeed, true indeed. Oh yes, oh yes. Oh, also, well, I want to see. The... Oh yeah, yeah. Everything is uh, everything's well. I, if, if you're referring to the uh, anybody who's listening in that, that's asking about me, because you saw the post on my Facebook, I'm doing well. I'm I'm great. You know, you can't nothing stop me. I'm the unstoppable juggernaut. <laughs> you know, um, I'm glad it wasn't COVID. I'm glad it wasn't COVID. Thank God it wasn't COVID. But uh, but as far as the other issue, you know, I got it straightened out. 
you know, take the medicines and, awesome. you know, just keep it moving. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, and I'm glad I got – I'm glad I'm well in time for the, for the guests, too. I want to say that because I, I'm going to say a quick, brief uh, story <laughs> right quick. Um, as you know, I also have another well, – I host several different things. You know, I'm all over the place. But one of the things I have is the Session Podcast. And Tremendous, along with many other guests, <laughs> they did interviews with me, and I had problems with, with my account with Spreaker and things like that. And not only that, but I had one, it was one thing after another. So it just demotivated me. And I said, yeah, of course, you know, y'all haven't been seeing any new session podcast. I just said, fuck it. I'm going to deal with that later. So, uh, so later became me procrastinating. And since I already had everyone's audio, I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll put it out regardless. I got it'll be a, maybe I could put it out as a special uh, collector's edition or something like that. But, uh, and not, and, and usually, you know, when you do interviews with people, you know, it is just, you know, you just do them. But, um, but you know, I, Trey Mendes is also a member of Blacktopia. And when I saw him in there, I was like, oh man, yeah, I, I got, I, we got, I got to make this right. I got to make this right. So I'm glad he, you know, he agreed to be on the digital meet and greet. And, uh, and as far as the session podcast, it, all of those, uh, uh, unreleased interviews I did, all those classic. Un- this is getting on my nerves. This sound. <laughs> Just pardon me. You know we do it wrong. Uh, yeah, all those uh, unreleased, all the all those unreleased uh, podcasts. They're they're coming out. They're still going to come out. I, I, you know, it. it, it I'm just going to just put, I'm going to just get back on that and put that out as some kind of, uh, you know, classic edition or something like that, rebrand it, because those are, all the interviews were great. I, I don't want to, you know, but I, I, I definitely, let me quit talking. Let me go ahead and bring on Trey Mendes. You let him talk about it. Trey Mendes. How's it going? How's it going, fellas? Doing well. Good, good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I can't complain. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I also want to say, too, Trey Mendes also has new music, too. We're going to be playing a little later in the program. You know, so we're going to definitely uh, set that up and play that real soon. You know, well, well soon as in later in the program. Um, and, and Trey Mendes, thank you for being on. Thank you for, uh, for your cooperation. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, my man. It's an honor, honor to be here. Oh yes. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the mic to JT, and he's gonna set us up. JT, the mic is yours. All right, cool. <clears throat> Without a doubt, Mr. Trey Mendes, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on the digital meet and greet platform, man. Uh, you kicked the month off. It's a brand new month. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, sir. That's what we're going to start tonight. Okay, okay. Well, again, thanks for having me, man. It's an honor. Uh, what I guess what have, what got me here is the music. So, you know, I'm going to start off with that. I'm a recording artist. Uh, been in the recording industry here, been in Dublin for quite a bit. Uh, I learned fast and, and uh was fortunate enough to to gain insight and uh, access to the entertainment industry at a time when um, things were transitioning from 
the CD uh, physical um, medium of, of uh, music distribution to over to the digital side. And uh, right before internet speeds, you know, upgraded from the dial-up level to, uh, you know, becoming more readily accessible every day, and uh, technologies like Napster and MP3 format started to pop on the scene. There, but and pirating became an issue with uh, with uh, all forms of uh, media, from the DVDs and movies in stores uh, to to music releases, and um, uh, that was a. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be catapulted into the industry at that time because I, I bore witness to, you know, while simultaneously trying to gain understanding on how the entertainment industry worked. Um, learning on the fly, building relationships, networking with legal uh, representation and different uh, people in executive positions that entertainment industries. I was uh, fortunate enough to bore witness to uh, them running crazy and, you know, a lot of havoc ensuing because music was leaking and people were getting access to music uh, even after it was released and um, through through the Napster and LimeWire and BadShare. Uh, peer-to-peer program, so uh, I witnessed <clears throat> at the, the the same people who <laughs> in it, uh, artists usually are fighting with at the labels the entertainment industry for a uh, fair shake in the game, so to speak, or some kind of leverage with contracts. You know, everybody tends to come into the industry with uh, questionable, under questionable terms, and then they're, they're, uh, they gain leverage as Hopefully, they gain leverage as their career progresses, and they they build, uh, you know, stardom and equity or value as an artist or whatever they uh, create a position is in the industry, and um, was able to uh, gain a deep understanding on how technology was. Uh, well, let me stop before I go further than that. At the same time, I witnessed uh, while that was happening in this entertainment industry, record labels, film studios didn't have any real solutions to uh, remedy this pirating issue. Um, yeah, some companies like Microsoft tried with the DRM, the digital rights management um, technology, and that didn't really work off favorable because they, you know, it affects how people could, with the, the, the uh, labels and artists who did utilize their technology on their DVDs and movies with I mean, CDs and the movies with DVDs, they people couldn't rip the, those those products, those CDs, but in particular the music CDs into their collections. You know, have the CD as a, a viable backup or whatever. So, um, I was able to see how a company like Apple remedied the situation with the iTunes Store and you know um, the management of MP3 files and it basically took a transition from people owning music to leasing music, so to speak. Uh, through subscriptions where people went from buying an album, you know, for 16, 12, 12 to 16 99 to uh, maybe $9.99 if they're a big artist and they're selling all they, all they shipped a, a lot of uh, uh, copies and didn't sell as much as they projected, so they sent it for nine ninety nine or a single or EP or whatever to people, you know, uh, having a subscription to a streaming service and, you know, collecting music that way and they have it access so as long as they pay 
just really gain an understanding on how a comp- uh, the industry, such as like the tech industry or technology, was really uh, serving as a catalyst for the entertainment industry, and you know, like it is, like it has in other industries, uh, transportation industry with companies like Uber and Lyft. They, you know, uh, I, I kind of gained an understanding how technology was, you know, uh, a force to be reckoned with. It wasn't like it didn't exist in a vacuum like most other industries do. You got the health industry over here. You have, you know, um, manufacturing industries, automobile industries, entertainment industries. But then the tech industry is the industry which, you know, has its own thing going on in and of itself. But what goes on within it affects other industries for better or worse. So, um, um, and being close to, you know, the, the most technical um, part of the entertainment industry, which is the creative people always working in studios with recording engineers, mastering engineers, things of that nature, uh, I, I decided to oppose to continuing my path from an artist standpoint I started to broaden my, uh, you know, having already been dibbling and dabbling with music production, knowing my way around sequences, workstations, and computer software, I, I began to expand my expertise in tech, which uh, kind of allowed me allowed me to, like, sidestep and pivot uh, within the entertainment industry uh, on a somewhat uh, tech IT executive level while um, gaining an understanding that um, the dependency on the old model in the entertainment industry from an artist's perspective was was changing. Uh, Labels, the importance of labels, excuse me for talking so long, but the importance of labels uh, rested on their connections with distribution companies and their, their, their big budgets to be able to manufacture and distribute mass amounts of copies of a release at the same t- at one particular time whereas even on the independent level you know the rap artists the rap labels could not ship man you know manufacture and distribute a million cds of a release like you know warner brothers or capital per se could do for a mariah carey or beyonce uh people like two short even rap directors they went 10,000 CDs at a time. Those sell out, you know, press up some more and keep selling, build themselves that way. When the the, the medium for uh, music, you know, transition from the CDs, cassettes, vinyl, you know, for the most to digital, the need for the labels, other than their connections to radio and, you know, uh, video outlets and just the marketing and promotion side, you really needed them to be able to ship a reasonable amount of copies on your first, you know, week or, you know, to even, to, to be in circulation enough to even go-go. You have to have, you know, the budget to press up half a million copies. So when that, you know, me understanding how things was working and being in a position up to that point to be able to deliver a finished product to labels, uh, I was like, yo, how, how, you know, how much more do we really need? Uh labels other than their business expertise and, you know, their marketing and promotion expertise, but gaining an understanding with, you know, digital media and how things was transitioning, watching people, young boys like Soulja Boy pop up on the scene and Pop X and how they would go viral without, you know, using the machines, the, the mediums, the social media 
in ways that labels hadn't even grasped my understanding on. It um, allowed me to 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 you know have a lucrative uh, career in the entertainment industry and not be in the spotlight per se, continuously uh, releasing music. So um, it, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's been a beautiful journey, but. Um, the music got me here, you know. I'm an artist first and foremost, but, you know, I do have, um, at this point in time, um, that's on autopilot. So um, I do do a lot of other music-related things in tech, partnering with companies and whatever. But, yeah, um, I got my start with rap Records in the late 90s uh, due to a couple of relationships with uh, local producers and uh, rappers. I was, you know, a teenager back then, but I was I was fortunate enough to to be to have access to that environment because of my relationship with Jay Prince. Uh, he's like the fourth or fifth cousin of mine on my father's side. So around the time while he was developing his label and whatever, you know, we have our annual family reunions and I constantly, you know, it's a, it took about two or three summers for me to pitch my raps to him. You know, from like twelve to fifteen, and uh, you know that that got me access to the uh, scene and things that was happening, uh, you know, one thing led to another. I ended up getting my feel around the studio, working with producers, uh, a producer by the name of N.O. Joe happened to introduce me to uh, Big Mike, uh, formerly of the Ghetto Boys, while he was uh, working on his first album. And uh, that led to a working relationship. That led me to uh, be fortunate enough to be featured on that first album, and um, I, I I believe I was still a teen. Yeah, I was like maybe sixteen at the time. So, uh, uh, that was that allowed me to to collaborate with people freely and not necessarily be contractually obligated. You know, uh, all that the the whole minor thing, needing parents to be involved or whatnot. But you know, uh, um, I ended up signing a production deal later on down the line. With rap a lot, uh, with Big Mike, uh, and rap a lot through his production label, and that that led me to uh, that led to me doing a lot of ghostwriting for artists, um, well-known artists that being featured on Big Mike's first and second uh, releases, second solo albums, and the original Gangsta soundtrack. So, uh, yeah, it's been a long journey, but I'm here. I'm still here. Wow. Oh yes. Oh yeah. A lot of insight. Oh yeah. Yeah, a lot of insight, man. Go ahead, Jay. Oh, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, uh, JT. I, I wanted to say I wanted to uh, throw it out back to the callers right quick, so we can have them ready in the queue. Um, again, like I said, if you're uh, if you're streaming from an app, a link, a third-party website, anything like that, just give us a call at nine two nine four seven seven three eight seven two. And then press one. We're talking to Trey Mendes. Uh, you know, you can ask him anything. If you're already streaming from your phone, all you have to do is press one. You know, we take the calls in order. So, you know, if you, you're waiting to press one, <laughs> you might be last if you're waiting. So, you know, press, you know, go ahead and press one. Uh, all right, we do have a lot of, we got people listening tonight, but. You know, don't be shy. Trey Mendes, he, he's a good dude, so don't, you know, don't be shy. He'll talk to you. <laughs> you know, and, and for a lot of y'all, 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And for all of y'all that like to be in my inbox, uh, AJ, uh, tell him this, man. Uh, you know, I make beats. Could you uh-uh-uh. You call in. Call in and talk to him. <laughs> he, he's up. He's up to talk to you. So, uh, so yeah, let me pass the mic over to JT. Uh, pass it back to JT. Yeah, Trey Mendes. There was a lot, a lot of uh, info, a lot of wisdom, a lot of gems in uh, in your opening, man. So I guess I want to start with um, uh, a part of your foundation and this and, and ask you what inspired you, man, and even start. You know, what I'm saying being creative where it pertains to the music and even wanting to, you know, be a part of that atmosphere. Man, (laughs) to be honest, man, I always go back to this moment. uh, Every every two or three years, I bring this up to one of my aunts and my mom. Uh, I remember one particular day uh, I was riding in the backseat, and I I had to have been in middle school because (laughs) there was something about, uh, well, because we was listening to the radio, and um, I want to say, okay, so there was a mix. There was there was a little radio mix playing it. Uh, all I know is somewhere between the, between Boogie Down Productions, my philosophy, and Rakim, follow the leader. I I tapped on my aunt's shoulder, and was like, I'm gonna be a rapper when I grow up, <laughs> you know. And I do know I was in elementary school because we were riding down a particular street called Long Point Drive, where my my uh which was right down the street from where we lived at the time where my elementary school was. So, you know, I was doing the usual young boy thing, looking out the windows, not in my seatbelt, on my knees, facing the window, all this stuff. And I remember gazing out at playground on my my school at the particular time while I was thinking it thought, and then I said it to him. So that may have led to, I may have been in third grade because somewhere between then and the fifth grade, I had I, we had I, I had an opportunity to participate in the dare program. You know, say no to drugs. The police officers come to your school and all that stuff. Let you send the police cars and hit signs and all that. And we had an opportunity to do things that first that that were examples of you being in a scenario where someone tried to offer you drugs like pot, or cigarette, or alcohol, and you turn it down or whatever. So they had all these different scenarios where you can do a play two or three minute scenario where some kid acts like person who, you know, trying to, you know, to offer the, you, you or your friend, you know, the drugs and or anything you could sing or rap. That's, you know, so I ended up getting with a couple buddies of mine <clears throat> and we wrote this say no to drugs. Rap. So like the very first rap I wrote <laughs> was like in third or fourth grade in elementary and it was received well doing the, the program and you know after that nobody could tell me nothing i was i was on my mission to, to become a, a world famous rapper so i i have to contribute krs1 <laughs> and rock him to that and that's that's kind of showing my age but hey uh they weren't there i'm gonna say this their music wasn't playing like new releases they was playing like a new york mix in the late 80s uh, on a Saturday at the radio station, where those they were may they may have been running through hip hop history, but those songs were maybe you know over five years old at the time. But I remember making that declaration back in elementary school, so that was the start. 
Wow, that's dope, man. Cause you go back to when you first, you know, um, heard and was inspired to do something, man. And and those were, um, to me, that was some of the greatest times in music and in hip hop, um, uh, period. And then you move and you transition into understanding the business side of it and how to make that part work for you. And what kind of what kind of knowledge can you pass on to someone that's just trying to learn the business part of it? And really, how important is it for an artist to learn the business part of the of the music industry? Well, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. Okay. The mu- the business side of the industry is so important that you have people in the industry who was on top of their business, like say a Sir Mix-a-Lot, who owned his music. He may have funded the studio time if he didn't own his own studio. wasn't really a music scene out in Seattle where he's from. And uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot came out with, I think, My Posse's on Broadway, Beepers, and Baby Got Back. You know, and uh, My Posse's on Broadway is a pretty popular song, but it's like an urban song. Because Baby Got Back became a commercial hit to an extent that it's been regurgitated by TV commercials, mainstream movies. And every time that happens, it's like it's a whole new song because it's getting placement on a movie soundtrack. It's getting played in a, in a scene in a movie, which means that that movie's a popular movie like American Pie or something, and it's syndicated. It keeps showing it on AT&T or TNT, I'm sorry, and, and uh, you know, networks like that, FX, and it keeps showing two or three times a year. Um, it's, it's almost like it, it came out again for the first time, or it's a, com- it's a commercial placement each time the movie comes out or, or, or gets syndicated on the TV television station uh, or, or makes it, you know, to box office because it's, you know, premiering in theaters on, you know, a premier movie, a premier or whatever. And he is wealthy to this day because he owns his masters, his publishing, the production. He was a, you know, business-minded artist. And that's just one song. But in contrast, you could be TLC or even New Edition or anyone of that nature who, uh, regardless of the fact that they didn't write their own lyrics, they didn't produce a song or whatever, they weren't in good recording deals. You know, they they were selling, they went diamond. They sold 10 million copies plus of Crazy Sexy Cool and was, you know, sharing a car and couldn't pay their rent in an apartment at the time when he was touring for the album. They went on, they protested on the Grammys about it when they won their award that year for the album. They was, you know, under a shady contract with uh, Pebbles uh, Edmonds, uh, Babyface's wife, who was their executive producer at that time for the face. And um, that's how important, you know, like your business could be. You can, you can have, you can put out a whole album and sell 10 million copies and have uh, not know what's going on with business or be under a unfavorable contract and make a tenth of the amount of money that you would if you own just uh, your, your music and you had one single that hit. Um, and I, I would just say to artists to, you know, really try to take, you know, really take it. It's a fun business. It's a, it's a, a, a very potential. Do, do, it's a, there's a lot of potential for delusion. 
when you're in a situation where you're doing something that you love and it don't really feel like work, you tend to shoo away the aspects of the game or the business that feels like work, like registering your music with performance, your songs with performance rights agencies, copywriting, uh, publishing, uh, setting up your biz- yourself as a business because, you know, you have to actually look at your songs and your likeness as an artist like intellectual property. It's no different than if you invented something and you needed to get a patent. It's no different than if you made a model or a product that you're having to license to a corporation to use. Uh, if you don't have your business, I mean, if you don't, if you step into the situation looking at it as anything less, you have the potential for having something monumental on your hands and getting it just swept right from up under your feet. So one thing I like to tell people, because I do a lot of, business, you know, consulting with people in the entertainment industry locally in in the Texas, Louisiana scene in Houston in particular. And I even, uh, for the last three years until they started to have their issues, I even consulted Carl Carl Crawford, I'm sorry, the retired baseball player who played for the Dodgers, who from out here in Houston, Texas. Uh, Shout out to CC. Uh, I even consulted him and T. Ferris, who uh, run 1501 Entertainment, which is actually Carl Crawford's label, but T. Ferris, Switch House fame, who manages Paul Wall and Zero and uh, Lil Kiki and now Megan Thee Stallion. I even consulted them in their business while they were getting everything off the, the uh, ground, uh, releasing acts like uh, uh, Hallelujah and um, many had so many different acts, uh, Enzo McFly prior to them launching Megan and I was there with them hands on while they were Megan was in the studio with all the acts. They was shoot she was shooting her first video when she got everything off the ground. And um so subsequently I was there when they signed a deal with three hundred and I was there to see the whole little situation unfold between him and Megan. Um or her, Megan the Stallion, T Ferris and Carl. But, you know, uh, I was consulting them on a lot of things that have to do with them securing their artists and their intellectual property and make them and maximizing the monetization of what they was doing independently before they ended up securing the deal. And, um, I ended up helping them get a quarter million dollar publishing deal for Megan because for some reason they didn't have a publishing taken care of. And, uh, Carl handled, Carl hired T Ferris to handle all of that stuff from for him. But, you know, that's one of the things, the weak points of, uh, my brothers, you know, over at Swisher House, uh, with what they was, with what Ferris was doing with uh, Michael Watts is that, uh, you know, they had a decent, a great deal with Warner Brothers, you know, uh, million dollar deals. Mike, Mike Jones and Paul Wall got money from that situation. It wasn't, nobody was screwed, but them brothers didn't have a publisher taken care of. They didn't, you know, uh, they, they got a nice check for giving the, the masters to the label. They didn't have a publishing down pack. So that was one of uh, T. Ferris' weak points. And I was able to point out some of those things to them. And they hired me to handle their publishing for the label, make sure all of the artists were set up right. They had their writers' contributions. And, you know, the over the label basically needed to set up a whole other company for publishing. That's a long other story. But um, I, 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 I'm saying that to say on so many different scales. I have brothers who, you know, it could be a, a dude who has a daughter that sings well and he got a settlement. He want to, you know, help us start off everything right and support her with her dreams to brothers in the streets with some money that they that they want to, you know, take their shot in the entertainment industry. And I 
make sure they got their stuff set up right. They set up their companies, LLCs, studios. They understand all the rigmarole with publishing and, and royalties and how they're supposed to collect their money from these streaming uh, outlets and, you know, where, where the money is. But a lot of them, like the street guys, they really getting into it to look for a way to, 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 to launder their money and, and uh, let people know that they the man in that light. You know, they end up spending thousands of dollars a weekend at, at the club just to make to, to let the, to give the impression that they the man where that money could be better allocated to promote a budget to actually get them to get a product launched or getting something off the ground and getting money, uh, you know, all the way to uh, helping people with money. Like Carl, that, you know, retired from baseball, hundreds of millions of dollars. But he, you know, hired Ferris for a particular reason. You know, everybody only knows so much. So at the same time, you know, he did he did his thing. You know, they, he was able to launch, you know, his label successfully, break an act, which, you know, Megan is popping. You know, I don't, I didn't have a hand in, you know, their falling out uh, and things of that nature. But um, I did, I was with them up until that point because they were one up until that point. But when, you know, the party started dividing and stuff, I try to keep things neutral and not really pick sides. So, uh, you know, that's where my dropout point was. But, uh, yeah, man, I like I, I try to tell, you know, people when they come to the industry, man, to just try to, like, make the best of um, the opportunity to make history and actually uh, change their lives from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but then at the same time to not lose sight of what they're in it for because you can go viral and then be like, yo, I'm cool. I'm good. And then, you know, it's all for not because after a year or two, when you run out, when your well runs dry, you run into a dry patch and you have no no money maker. And uh, are you, you know, in the streets and you end up with a situation that sets you back from that aspect, from that standpoint, and there's nothing making money, uh, then, you know, everything's going to come to a halt. Or, or even if you do get as far as making money, make sure that your contracts and your money is right, that you don't, you know, blow off the the opportunity to uh, really be a, a supervisor of your career. You, you know, you got to keep it in mind. You got to look at it like managers don't tell you what to do. That's the, that's the problem. The old paradigm is uh, you hire, when you're a business owner, you hire a manager to it that your business is well running. If you was a CEO of a program and you hired a manager, a store manager, your store manager wouldn't tell you what you're supposed to do. Like they're supposed to perform and make sure that everything is satis- to your satisfactory and uh, you tell them how things go. So you, you need to make sure <laughs> that you, you, you stay the pilot. You know, you're, you're, you, your hands is on the wheel and you know, all, all would be well because you just got to, strike gold one time. You just got to have one decent hit, and you can monetize that, you know, as long as Paula Duel has been, so, you know. Okay. Oh, yes, so definitely. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, bad, what's the sister Paula Abdul? I mean, like, just to make a point, y'all may not know who Paula Abdul is musically, no, but she's been around as long we as her mix a lot. I know the hosts have been, but I'm just saying to the listeners, you may know her from American Idol, but she has one hit straight up. Now tell me, is it going to be you and me forever? Like, by the way, that song is, I mean, she had, may have other songs, but that's her runaway hit. 
And, you know, she can still pivot and make things happen. She can end up hosting a show like American Idol 15, 20 years later after that song. Because the same thing as Sir makes a lot of situations. She, she's not, she wasn't in a flimsy uh, scenario in her career. She, she was at least, she, she was the pilot of her uh, vehicle. So, or ship, so to speak. So that, that's one of the most important things. <clears throat> take, I take care of the business. You have to treat it like a business. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. True indeed. I, you know, before we take on, we got some callers. Uh, before before we uh, take the call, I want to say, uh, just to piggyback off what you're saying, is that, uh, yeah, a lot of artists, they just, they don't see it as a business. They just see it as, uh, oh, I'm an artist. And it's like they see it from a starving artist uh, point of view, as, a, as opposed to seeing that this is a business, you know? Right. Very yeah. much so. And it's and it's it it's ninety percent business, but I swear if you do it right, you're gonna be spending ten percent of time on it. And ninety percent of the time you're not focused on the music, studio, the image, the visuals, and so many other aspects of it. But if you you know, if you do it right, it's you know, people shy away from that, tend to put that in the hands of managers, CEOs or whatever, and then next thing you know, they sending their kids kids to college off of your money off that you made because uh I mean, even if you, you do got your business right, you got to watch, like, Selena's manager. You know, her whole family was that, – that was a whole family business. But when she got too comfortable with somebody, she looked up after a while, saw that something was right. She tried to meet up with, with to, to address the situation with the person, and it went left. But anything could – even when you, you know, have your business right and you hire someone, you just have to make sure, you know, like Biggie said, you got to have lawyers watching lawyers so you don't go broke, man. Oh, yes, true indeed, true indeed. All right, we're going to uh, go ahead and take some calls. Uh, like I said, if you're streaming from an app or a third-party website, link, anything like that, just give us a call at 929-477-3872 and then press 1 and we'll bring you on. Uh, if you're streaming from your phone already, all you got to do is just press one. It will bring you on. We're talking to Trey Mendes, and uh, he's dropping a lot of wisdom for us. So let's go ahead and take the first caller. Uh, caller in the five zero two seven one two. You're on the air. Who is this? Hello, this is Shalika. Hello, how are you? Shalika, how you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Great. Um, so I will list. Um, thank you for all of the uh, information that um, you gave us. That was very um, helpful. Um, but I uh, had a question about uh, what advice would you give to the to the young ones coming up that are inspired uh, rappers? What advice would you give to them? Being that the ind- industry has changed so much from when you came up. What yeah, kind of exactly. advice would you give to the to the young ones today? Uh, I would advise to the young ones to stay ownership focused, focused on your content. Uh, it's easy to get carried away on going with the concept of going viral and focusing on your presence in on social media platforms. Uh, more so than you are focusing on your equity as an artist and your presence where it counts places like where you actually, your your content is monetized. Um, and if you're a rapper or a singer, you're a recording artist, and 
you're trying to get to the people and you understand and you know that one quickest way to do that is social media. Uh, focusing mm-hmm. on that blue check on Instagram or Twitter is is uh, good. I mean, it, it's important, but it's not the end all be all, and you don't want that to be your foundation. You don't want to build that on. You don't want to build your foundation on straws. And what I mean by that is, at any given time, when those entities, be that mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, decides that you, as a creator, a user person with a profile on that platform is, mm-hmm. has, has, has broken the terms of service that you agreed upon with them, they can plug, they can pull the plug on you. And if your yeah. primary presence online is on Instagram or it's on TikTok, as we all see, everyone's moving to TikTok now. So this is how fickle mm-hmm. the concept, these vehicles of social media is, is important because you, it allows you to get to all the means of people that's on that platform effortlessly. Uh, but at the yeah. same time, you can be trending and popping on Instagram and not ha- and have zero presence on Facebook, and they they practice, they they are the same app. You know what I'm saying? Or, or have no presence yeah. on WhatsApp. If if TikTok is the next big thing, you have to build your presence there, and you may be viral trending on on Instagram, but it not means anything on TikTok. And uh, a lot of things I don't see artists really care about doing until they get involved with the labels, and the labels make them do it. It's securing the domain, a place where they um, own uh, their artist name, if they have an imprint, if they have a collective that they're working with, however it works, have a presence online that you own. So when, mm-hmm. no matter what happens on these platforms, people have a place to go to, to catch up with what's happening with you, that nobody but you and your internet service provider. Uh, is is the only people between is the, your internet service provider is the only person between you and your your fans when you got uh, online presence meaning a domain name a place and and uh you know even though hosting companies have terms of service it's it's a lot more lenient than if you was on a, a social media platform as long as you're not doing nothing dark webish or black market you don't have to worry about your 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 presence being compromised and uh. From there, uh, focus all of the stuff that you do do on social media and embed it there and uh, have some kind of thing where, you know, your account, people have to follow you to see your content. But at the same time, when social media places or or blogs are sharing your social media content, people got to follow you or like it to see what's going on. And uh, if if, uh, a lot of that traffic is search engines is pointing to your web domain, you're getting people somewhere mm-hmm. where your music is, can be located. And uh, it's all good and well to go trending and viral on these social media platforms, but there's no real way to get your music to the people and you get money off the views. So at, at the end of the day, you're trying to get people to the Spotify's and the titles and uh, Apple Music's where your content is. Even if it's on yeah. YouTube, because if it's distributed right, if its presence on YouTube will be monetized as well, but and it'll be sent to YouTube by your distributor. But, uh, you know, try to keep your eye on the prize and um, use social media in conjunction with um, the, the the end game, which is ultimately to get people to check out your music. And, um, you know, that, that you, you the, the sky's the limit for the youth. For the young artists, because where it was, mm-hmm. you would normally have to invest thousand yeah. dollars in a drum machine, 
back when I was, you know, a teenager and, you know, <laughs> just as much on an uh, 8-track to record just your, your vocals, you can go get some $200, $300 software with your, to, to install on your laptop or desktop or mm-hmm. if you don't have a Mac. And that's going to come with GarageBand, and you literally have yeah. all the tools that it would have cost us a good four or five grand to get quality material uh, uh, recorded. And uh, you literally can get professional quality finished product on something like GarageBand that you can download for free on the MacBook. So um, you you, uh, take advantage of technology and understand that, that, uh, you know, with a decent mic, you know, you you literally, I guess if you got to get a laptop, you literally with like $1,000 or $1,500 can get everything that you need from a laptop to a microphone, maybe a MIDI controller and software, and you can create timeless content. You have what it takes to get the equivalent of what you would have had to spend five grand on to have uh, four or five pieces of equipment connected to to MIDI wires to get the same results. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just don't don't um, if, if if you think you got what it takes, don't don't have that, but try to keep your eyes on the prize because uh, if it's great to be an influencer and be trending and viral on social media platforms, but make sure that that traffic is being directed to where your content is being monetized and and it's fair game. Um, Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Trey Mendes. You're welcome. Uh, For all the the knowledge, all that knowledge you've been kicking tonight. Really. um, Well, thanks for the great question. I mean, you know, that's that's a that's the key thing. (laughs) You got the right question brings out the right info. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, you have a good night. Thank you, everyone, for letting me come on the call. You're welcome. Oh yes. Thanks for calling. Yeah. You're welcome. All right. Definitely. All right. Bye. <laughs> Have a good All night. Right. Take care. You too. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for calling. All right. All right. Okay. Any other? Oh, yes. Uh, as for the uh, anyone else, if you're streaming from an app or a third-party website or a link or anything like that, just give us a call at 929-477-3872 and then press 1. We're talking to Tremendous. You know, you could also, uh, if you're streaming from a, a an app, I'm just, all time. Pardon me, I, I just got out the. <laughs> I still not too long ago. Let me get my mind right. Uh, if you're streaming from your phone, all you have to do is just press one, and we'll bring you on. We're talking to Trey Mendes, uh, and Trey, Trey Mendes has lots of knowledge, lots of information. As you've heard already, he's also got more wisdom, so he's willing to answer your questions. Any questions about the industry? Any questions about? You know, business in general, anything you need to know, this brother has it for you. Um, and we're also going to be playing his latest single, too, you know, a little later, um, you know, probably around the break. So let's go ahead and take some more calls. Caller in the 315-439. You're on the air. Who is this? Um, how's it going? This is J.O. J.O., up, how you doing? I'm doing good on yourself. Doing great. Thanks for calling okay, in. I, okay, um I I just wanna ask you, um you say rap a lot, right? Because that's a big history and of, and of course the guys on the host and you understand, um, 
when you say rap a lot, what I think about is like I'm 25, but I know about rap a lot. A little bit, I can say I know about like the Ghetto Boys and Willie D and stuff like that. So how was it like being around being around a legend like Jay Prince and what he did? Because I'm pretty sure Jay Prince has set the lane for like cats in the South and cats now. And I feel like following his blueprint, what they're doing now, he was one of the first. And I'm, and, I, and you hear that on the um, No Limit Chronicles that Master P said that he influenced him. So how was it like working with a legend like Jake Prince? Oh, I mean, it's, it was it was a great experience looking back in high. Right? I mean, you know, to have been involved at such an early stage where it wasn't so early that, uh, you know, I, I, I did have – Ghetto Boys albums before I was ever in the atmosphere, laying on my stomach, pausing bar for bar on my mom's stereo and writing these guys raps line for line down so I can memorize it before I was around. But it wasn't so, you know, uh, history hadn't been made per se yet. So uh, it, it wasn't, I wasn't as awestruck while I was in the mix. You get what I'm saying? Uh, but to have looked back and see how much history has been made and how in close proximity I've been with uh, such key figures in uh, hip-hop history, uh, it is honored. I am honored, and it's humbling. Um, but it's one of those things where you don't see it for what it grew to be when you're in a moment or out of storm. And um, one thing, one one uh, uh, benefit I say that I've gotten from it, uh, having been, uh, having witnessed, you know, history being made and a lot of things unfolded, I wasn't necessarily directly involved in, but was in the environment as it was happening, is it gave me a deeper perspective of how to get things done that seemed uh, impossible to do you get what i'm saying that one of the key powers superpowers that jay prince has <laughs> aside of all of the folklore and the legend that is attached to his name because um a lot of the, his messages are very practical and very uh you know rational um his most of his most of his uh legend comes from the fact that he was involved in so he was in so many dangerous environments and so many environments with so many questionable things was happening where people ended up getting in trouble with law enforcement later down the line. But he's one of the few, if there's enough to even be counted on one hand of the brothers that was in the entertainment industry, hip hop that made it from the streets of poverty to actually being wealthy. And brother has never even been in jail for a traffic ticket, but one of the things that I, I think that uh, attributes to a lot of his legend is his ability to organize his community, his neighborhood. Uh, the fact that he has uh, key friends that he grew up with, like real friends, people he may have had detention, skipped school with, that he trusts and he has close uh, in his circle what he does throughout, you know, Houston with his right to label and various other uh, business ventures that he has going on that and and he, he always keeps his community or his neighborhood fifth ward involved in everything he's done and he pivoted from pivoted from there so um, when he did 
go places and do things and make history. He may have had 50, 60, 70 people with him, and people were like, yo, he had he brought all of Houston with him, but really that man had his neighborhood, you know, like, and those people wasn't fly-by-night people he may have only knew for a year or two. They were all people that he knew since school days. So, um, and uh, a lot of that was instrumental in, you know, his success and, and the history that was made. Um so yeah, I, it was it was a great. I had a lot of great countless experiences of uh, you know learning and, and having an opportunity to do my thing and, and witness things be done to know how to apply it across the board in business life when you're trying to organize family or anything. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, it, it was it was a very uh, uh, eye-opening experience, shall I say? And it, it was the key, the key, one of the key experiences in me. Any everything that I do in, in the entertainment industry, I attribute to my beginnings there. Because had it not been for me having the opportunity to uh, be ingrained in his environment and what the business environment that he set up, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do the collaborations that I did that let me know on a grander scale that I had what it takes as an artist to stand shoulder to shoulders with people with, with, with great certified artists that are legendary to actually, um, you know, uh, have the courage to do what I do today as an independent artist and, and uh, the belief in myself and my ability to create quality content and, it that it all started with my experiences there. So yeah, I I, I credit everything that I do to that uh, moment, those, those moments and those experiences. Uh, a lot of people was was hands on, and a lot of people was instrumental in that learning experience. But it was all set up. Uh, it, it was all possible because of the the fact that Jay Prince started rapping our records. So he's he's a good guy. He, he you know he's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> How would I say this? Uh, it's a lot of ruthless, infamous stories out in out there about him. And while the the main gist of the stories may be true, that man never. Uh, that man is uh, really one of the kind of people who people do stuff to from offense of people disrespecting him more so than he's doing stuff himself or getting people to do stuff to people. And as uh, He's he's one of those type of businessmen where very few people can say he screwed them over because he's the kind of guy to ask you what will it take for you to be in business with him. So you're gonna name your price, you know what I'm saying? And whatever price you name is gonna be the, is gonna depend on how you value yourself. So there was a few artists throughout history that didn't know they were value <laughs> and came to find out after they contract was, you know, sealed with their signatures and couldn't get the terms changed, so they cried over spoiled milk. But he's one of those kind of guys that asks you what you want and told very few people no to what their response was because very few people overvalue themselves. You know, like, it's very few artists that would be worth 750000 and I'll say a million. You know, most people, he, you know, he, uh, a CEO would be willing to give an artist a hundred thousand, but they'll say something like thirty or forty. They, people, a person is always undersell themselves more than they oversell themselves. And if they oversell themselves, most likely 
they pitching for a number lower than that is just a part of negotiations. And they, they got something, some value there. So already. So it's a scenario that, you know, cancels itself out. But if, if whatever, everybody who ever signed to him on an artistic level or did business with him got what they asked for. I'm going to say that. Like, he's not the type of guy to make offers. He's the kind of guy to say he want to do work with you. What is your, what you want? And people name their price. And he almost always pretty much masters that. So um, he's not really, you know, you know, he's a quiet dude, uh, country boy. He don't really cuss, you know what I'm saying? But he he's he, he from a neighborhood where people don't play about him. A lot of people, uh, he de- he's already done other things in his community before the music thing that, that people feel like his well-being, is, their livelihood is dependent on his well-being. So a lot of people serious about him succeeding, and he was fortunate enough to have that environment catapult him to be able to get things done because most people can't get things done on that magnitude in America if they don't have a community uh, uh, level machine behind them. And um, whether it's just their family, you know what I'm saying? You can do your thing pretty, pretty good. If your whole family behind grandma, Madea or grandpa or something like that, you got Italian family going, you got some organized crime going, you go, it's going to take a nice machine of people behind the cars, Everybody will be organized and, and kind of like agree to. And he's one of those few men in the black community that was fortunate enough to have that scenario that he set up for himself. And and that's probably one of his most important attributes to contribute to, to, to contribute to the history being made. But yeah, he did that in a time that was like, he made, he built rap a lot, like five years after Russell Simmons and Lyle Cohen and uh, Rick Rubin was building Def Jam. Uh, so naturally he would be influential to everyone else from the masterpiece to the babies. And even Rick, even uh, Luke Skywalker in Miami with Tulak, he came a few years behind Ghetto Boys or what Jay was doing, rapper life. So the timing, you know, um, naturally he, he, he's, he's the one everyone looks up to or goes to for guidance. And it, 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 it paid well to have been in that environment and see how it unfolded. But I hope that answered your question. But you sent me down memory lane. My bad for being a little long with it. Oh no, you're good. <clears throat> and the last thing is, um, I have a podcast, and I would like to know if you're interested in coming on, being a guest, and we could talk some hip hop things and etc. Oh yeah, no problem, no problem. Like, get at get at the host, uh, my man Jay, and you know he'll hand you he'll get get my email information over to you. Or if you're in the Blacktopia group, you know. Jay Coleman to get my email information over to you. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Jay, I'm going to definitely link you all up and, you know, so y'all can set up that podcast interview. I, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Thank you. That would be great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to it, brother. Reach out. I mean, be easy. Thank you, J.O. No problem, man. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Uh, also, whoever that was, if you're still screaming, the caller from the 336, uh, just give us a call back. You know, we're still on the air. Uh, again, if you're streaming from, a, from an app, third-party website, link, anything like that, just give us a call at 929-477-3872. Uh, 
and then press 1. If you're streaming from a, from your phone, all you have to do is just press 1, and we'll bring you on. We're talking to Trey Mendes. You know, he's given a lot of great information. He's also uh, – we're also making some connections as well. He'll be a guest on the J.O. podcast very soon, so we, I'm, I'm proud we made that connection tonight. Uh, also, uh, we're going to go – oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's all you. Oh, oh definitely. Uh, oh, yeah. Also, I, well, I want to say, uh, Trey Mendes, we're going to get ready to play your, uh, play your single. You're welcome to set that up for us. Uh, tell, you know, tell the listeners about it, and, and then we'll, we'll play it. Okay, okay. So, yeah, this is one of my newest singles. I want to say it's not quite the newest, but it will be, like, the most appropriate for a current reintroduction. Uh, it's a tremendous thing. I have newer music, newer, single out, newer singles out, but, you know, you guys feel free to go search me down. Wherever you subscribe to your music, to you can probably even find my, my video profile, music profile on YouTube. Tremendous. That's uh, tremendous with the apostrophe after the E, P-R-E, apostrophe, M-E-N-D-O-U-S. And check out my catalog, my discography of music. But this is a, it's a tremendous thing. Definitely, definitely. All right. We want to play it now. The name drop. I am the source, yes, I have the force Run left round the course, never will a game stop Nah, so I put on my jersey and play ball The ops trying to walk before they crowd But they don't really want to see the wolves unleashed Because they take no prisoners to slay out Answer on the first ring when the pay cow On the front line when the cash up front Never scared to hell, Mary on the fourth down You see the lineman and your 52 hut punt This the grind the deep girls in the cup want This the talk to these boys in the hood, no You say you know about the big boys in the south Well, here's a few new facts that you should know
Girl, let's roll, go see the sight. Candy paint under city lights. Red carpet treatment all night. Make you an urban socialite. Then I hit you with the dynamite. Get in there hot, then blow up your spot. No rushing, went touching and crushing and busting it down. When we step up in the place, everybody know this you. I'm such a gracious host to you. Show you what that uptown do. Show you what that midtown do. Show you what that downtown do. Everywhere we go, we good. They know young trips, they keep it true. Oh, when we Let me throw some uh, yes, some sir, pops yes, on it. Oh yes, <laughs> definitely. Now, uh, before I pass the mic, oh yeah, you're welcome. Uh, before I pass the mic back to JT, I wanted to ask you. It says uh, Trey Mendes on the beat. You you did the track for that, right? Yeah, man, I did the old Ray Charles that night, man. The backup singles was on one, and the producers that my 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 uh key my finger p- piano man didn't show up so i had to man the hook and 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 play i did the whole track and i just i just said have i just had added on the vocals i'm like man every idea i come up with tonight i'm gonna execute it so yeah i i actually did do the track um it was one of a couple that i was i had on repeat that night and the hook came to me so i pulled it i pulled it up and, uh, laid the hook, bounced it, and the verses just flow naturally. So, yeah, yeah, I did produce the track. Though. Dope, dope. Oh yes, oh yes, JT. Oh yes. Yeah. JT, I'll pass the mic back to you. You know, I know you got some questions out there here in the new track, and you know, I know it's, it's a couple. I know there's a couple things you want to talk about in general. So, you know. Well, yeah, um, tremendous. I was just gonna ask you, talk a little bit about what kind of legacy, man, you you want to leave. You know, what I'm saying on the industry that you pretty much have grown in. What does that mean to you, and what do you want to leave? You know, leave as you continue your journey. Well, I'm gonna say this. <laughs> I've always been in conflict about the type of content that I left behind in the entertainment industry. I've had the fortunate benefit of uh, being down with the rapper like my fam uh, and, you know, they family for life in real life for what it's worth. But as far as musical ambitions are concerned and message, um, I've always been one to be... uh, interested in history and uh, our origins as black Americans in the world and uh, 
our culture and the various different cultures back from Africa and um, understanding my place in the world uh, as a whole and relative to where I'm at and where I was born, which is America. And due to that, I've always been surrounded by brothers who were either in the Nation of Islam, Five Percenters, uh, owners of one of the legendary bookstores in the Houston area called Shrine of the Black Madonna. And I've always understood um, things deeper than surface level as far back as middle school and uh, was surrounded by adults who seasoned uh, me with that understanding even before my endeavors in the entertainment industry. So I was infused with a purpose with my music before I even was involved in Rap A Lot Records and anyone who I worked with that professionally. <clears throat> so I've always had this conflict being that um, I, I went out as I was working professionally with Rap A Lot Records, which, as we know, was one of the most gangster music labels in the history of hip-hop and trying to balance my message and what it stood, which is why uh, me and Big Mike built a strong working relationship. He had a lot of, uh, uh, he, he related and understood what I stood for as an artist, uh, which is why I did as much work as I did with him in the past. He was one of the, those few guys that was a little more, or he was at least trying to evolve as an artist at that phase in his solo album. So that was one of the, I mean, his solo career, I'm sorry. So that was one of the few places there where I could be creative and not really be gangster or talk about bank robberies or actually killing anybody or representing the gang or doing anything extreme to where, say, later on in life, I wanted to go out in politics. It wouldn't be such a broad contradiction of character. So, uh, and, and not only that, I had an understanding on what was going on behind the scenes with these private shareholders and, and company directors who were at these record companies specifically rooting for misogynistic, violent, chauvinistic, degrading content from particularly the urban artists, rap musicians, rappers, and, and endorsing and trying their best to shed and shine a light, you know, like the the industry up and packed their bags from the East Coast when they were trying to get, when they were getting too pro-black and conscious during the, we're all in the same game era, and there was just too many uh, Wu-Tangy, uh, Nas-like artists, and during the time where it was about, you know, the native tongues, Tribe Called Quest, Jungle Brothers, Queen Latifah, De La Soul, and they literally packed all of the the, bag, the industry bags up and moved it to the West Coast. And next thing you know, the same year, you heard of NWA. And ever since then, it's been a constant fluctuation of preference on at least trying to offset those Afrocentric pro-black artists that was on the East Coast at that time with these guys on the West Coast with the game uh, lifestyle. You know, a few years later, the movie Colors Backdoor, Ice-T, had the soundtrack song and ever since then it's been like that agenda and I understood behind the scenes by people who was exposing secret societies so they damn sure knew about 
what branches of those entities and rich elite people was doing in the in real time currently. So everybody like it was shit. I was around with KRS One and after Bambada tried to talk to Willie D, Scarface, and Big Mike, and everybody. I wasn't around the West Coast niggas, but when they came to the South, or they was around rap a lot, and they was trying to talk and tell people like it was a li- They was trying to draw a line. And they literally were sharing documents and information where it was like a secret meetings in the entertainment industry where they invite certain executives and they offer incentives and bonuses if they deliver that kind of content in the, to the pipeline, opposed to somebody like Anita Baker or Fuji's. And um, understanding that and really literally being as a 14, 15 year old watching certain people, legendary people to this day, that was like, man. I feel that. Man, around that same time, Willie D wrote, Willie D wrote the verse, uh, your, um, your positivity and, and getting the bills paid on a song on together, but same song, same album that my world is together was on. Cause these type of talks was being made behind the scenes with rappers who understood about the certain executives happened. It was certain brothers in the East coast, doubling back, blowing whistles, trying to at least, and it was whispers going on around in the game. So I've always, thought as a teenager, 19, 18, 17, 16, like, how my music, how my verse, how this verse going to sound when I'm 40? How am I going to stand on whatever I'm on as a man, whatever, however I'm trying to transition, whatever my end game is, this music is a vehicle. You know, like, nobody never really knows, like, what's the artist, what they they in it for. Like, Kaepernick never knew that he was going to have to put his career on the line for a, a bigger cause. But you may have people like Kanye West who may have planned out his whole little career on a shenanigan level as far as, like, after my third album, I'm going to do this, that, and the third. But at the end of the day, you still got to play ball at step one, step two, step three. So I'm 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 here, and I'm working, and <laughs> there are literally A&R people at the label like, yo, man, say you was with the Fifth Wall Circle, man, and, you know, y'all, you know, we, we, we got in a shootout at the club or you know, right? Why you know, do a song on your project about bank robbery? It's just some ignorant. You know, I mean, like for whatever their reason, they felt like it was the thing to do. It, it just didn't really fit in my overall goal as far as like, yo, know, when I'm like not necessarily done with music, but when I'm my my, I feel like my discography is complete, and I'm moving on to something else. Like, what kind of work I want to leave behind? And I had been made the decision uh, before I even was doing anything professionally. I wasn't going to be a, a pawn artist, a sucker that's like, yo, I'm going to just, I'm rapping about my reality of what's going on, but really, you know, it's a lot of things going on in black community. Every, every, if everybody's not in the gang. Everybody's not selling dope. All this, that, and the third. You got artists like uh, Kendrick Lamar, Outkast, Comet. They prove that on, on, a, on a modern level. You know, you got even some of these artists uh, try to be eclectic, like, you know, the late Essex. Tentacion or even the Juice World or someone like uh, Hobson. You know, all of these artists' black experience is just as authentic as anything else. And even, I don't, I don't, it, like, it's just as authentic as the trappers, the gangsters, because if we talking about statistics and shit, those percentage of people that's trapping in each, in every little black neighborhood in each major metropolis that's in a gang, they, they don't even represent 10% of each black neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? So they never are a majority, you know, never, never like, even when you're in a neighborhood that's rough, like everybody not killing everybody. Ain't. 
So in Chicago, it's always going to be like 20, 30 niggas in a project with hundreds of people. You know what I'm saying? And all of the hell, all of the crime is really done amongst them and their rivals from other areas. But nevertheless, for some reason, this 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 perspective of black experience has been overrepresented in the entertainment industry for some reason. In hip hop in particular, I don't fucking know why. I know why, but I don't know why the it it, 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 it leverages out the way it is, like 90% gangsters and 10% everything else or some shit, or street or whatever you want to call it. Um, So um, I've always wrote music from a standpoint of thinking about that. And if I can't really just, if I don't have, like, everything can't be social, political, social commentary, because then you got a boring ass, you know, then you just got hair on, you ain't even really rapping no more. So even people like Common mix it up. He got singles about love, this, that, and the third. You have to be a well-rounded artist. But I always was like, man, I ain't, I ain't ever going to be a mascot for the dysfunctionality in the black community. Like, I can speak on it but it's, it, as an artist, but I never be the first person representation of that shit. You get what I'm saying? Because I look at it like the Bill Cosby perspective of at least from the overall ratio of percentages of how it's overrepresented in rap. Like, Bill ain't never showed, and we all know, I mean, like, Bill just made it his business to always show the better side of the black family with the Cosby show. Like, they, it could have been, been so many different, it, it, it's so many, as, so many aspects that was cut out because it was needed. It, it was underrepresented. There was no black family with no wife that was a doctor and a husband, I mean, lawyer and a husband that's a doctor. So, um, ain't no sense in biting over the uncle or the brother or the sister that's fresh from jail or none of those episodes because that's, that's represented enough. So I'm not saying I was ever trying to be like that or even a Will Smith. I was, I felt like hip hop was a voice of truth, a vehicle of, of the uh, misrepresented. And if I was not going to do anything else, I was going to break the mold or reveal some truths with my music that hasn't really been spoken or addressed before from the black perspective, man, um, always face the resistance. Like, I literally, when I was working on my album after Big Mike put out his first album, was told by accountants and shit and managers at Virgin Records, was like, these people will kill you talking about the Illuminati. And they started, like, when, like for months when we couldn't decide on shit before contracts were fulfilled and voided and all that and I was a free agent and stuff. Like I didn't literally really have music get released because I was trying to do stuff that Mike was in support of, you know what I'm saying? I was, you know, uh the production label I was signed to was was wholeheartedly with what I was doing artistically. But the label was always trying to balance it with some other shit that was not it it, it was contradictory to what they was trying to balance. So we can never come on a, a middle terms or middle ground to understand. So it was just like a stalemate. But uh, I always set out to try to be, uh, arti- try to do something, man, that broke the mold. Like, even if it's not necessarily conscious, it's something that ain't been done for prior. Like, if, if it's even Snoop Dogg's album. I mean, even the way he brilliantly, and I would say Snoop is more of a black sportation. Uh, his, 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 image is more of a black sportation. When he first popped on the scene with Doggy Style, more than he was a crip, more than he was a gangbanger, he really took what George Clinton and Parliament and them did, sonically and visually, the, the Atomic Dog uh, record art and uh, 
the, the, the music, and he personified that from a rap level and merged it with the black exploitation shaft, the Mac shit. You know what I'm saying? And that was a, a thing that was brilliantly done in for him because he was able to take something that was produced on a low-budget grassroots level like black exploitation and bring it up to a modern level, which would not demand a huge budget, but at the same time would be in would be easy to do, but the, 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 the today's standard of just having better cameras and everything would naturally come off as an upgrade. So it was like a brilliant, it was a brilliant overall marketing campaign image concept because he was regurgitating some of the, the, the vibes of the ancestors, you know what I'm saying? And, and he was one of my favorite artists to this day, even though he's, you know what I'm saying, represents L.A. lifestyle, culture, this, that, and the third. Not until later in his career and shit did he really just smash the gas with that. Uh, but um, there's so many different ways to break the mold from what everybody else is trying to do. And, I, and, and that's one of the most important things. But one thing I always tried to make sure that I didn't do was put out no buffoon clown shit that I look back. And if you if you want to test what I'm saying, you can go back and li- listen to Big Mike shit. Like, his his second album is literally the most hip-hop in this album outside of Odd Squad, first album. And maybe Devin, dude, the dude, is the most hip-hop album rapper I'd ever put out, commercial-wise. Uh, we ain't really talking about no street shit. He, 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 he coming from a perspective of a player who is living life as a successful black man, because he, you know, he ain't as hungry as he was on his first album. He talked about a lot of the rough, raw hood experiences like he was on his first album. And he kind of talked from a perspective of this experiences he didn't have, like, same way Biggie was, you know what I'm saying, on Life After Death, opposed to how he was on Juicy, on, on Hypnotize. It's kind of like the same transition. So, And a lot of his shit was more party. That sec- on his second album was more party. And we was trying to spit, you know, for what it was worth, how... You know, the only other cats that, like, A-Bar, MJG, and maybe Outcast was really trying to, like, respect the cypher standard uh, with Southern Rap at that time with this particular album, second album that I was on four songs on with Big Mike. We wasn't talking no street shit, no gangster shit, or no dope dealing shit, or nothing. You know what I'm saying? And he kind of sort of met me in the middle because that's where he was trying to transition in his career from where I already was at as an artist. But when it was time to do my solo shit, you know, Rapalot was trying to get me to go extra hard, and then the label was trying to get me to uh, just totally ditch the conscious commentary that I was trying to deliver. So, you know, it is what it is, but that's that's first and foremost, man. I always try to be a person that don't look back 10 years later, and I'm like, I got kid, kid my kid, I, I don't want to play this shit for my grandkids. You know what I'm saying? But I'm still real and fly like you know, people like Wu-Tang Clan, Nas, Outkast, man, Goody Mob, those are people who I'm pretty sure uh, uh, my boy uh, CeeLo played his first verse or his verse off of uh, Cell Therapy, uh, who's at peeking in my window with pride around his grandkids. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't saying shit that he should have been ashamed of. So I'm saying from that level, like I always I had that instilled with me from some of the most pro-black Afrocentric people that existed in the city at the time. <laughs> so when I, when I was too young to even know what I was committing to, but I, I, I meant it because I understood the pawn game and how people was just basically being played to, to social, to help a machine socially engineer their people. So that's a whole nother level, a deep game, but I understood 
that aspect of life before I was even in a position to be a recording artist. So by the time I was sitting at conference tables with record labels trying to vote on one song, just going to make albums and shit, I wasn't even recording a song that fit that criteria, and that was their problem with me. But, yeah, that's what I always tried to be about. Cool. You kick it to Jay to see if we got any callers on the line. <laughs> I just be talking so long. Y'all got to forgive me. We got to get a vibrate buzzer notification on the app or something to pop up on the phone and be like, nigga, cut it short. So we know like the cue, the cue like they have on the talk shows behind the camera, man, because I'll I keep it going, bro. <laughs> and just forget I'm not having a regular phone conversation. <laughs> oh, it's all good. I hey. You know, you're welcome to grab the mic and say, you know, say what all you need you have to say. It's, it's, hey, you know, that's how we doing it, man. You're the guest for the night, and uh, and I, I'm I'm just saying, man, I'm I'm trying to make up for the uh, for the for the uh, unreleased material, you know. So you you know, go it's at it, man. Yeah, because yeah, I, I've been yeah. I've been like a CEO for so long. Like the last time I had real media training was was in the '90s. Like, well, they made sure like to keep them answers to. 30 to 45 seconds and all that shit. So I don't even be fretting that. I, I know how it goes, but at the same time, that's, you know, uh, I'm not trying to sell nothing. I ain't, I don't have no album that I'm trying to get publicity for. And I feel like what I do nowadays is more about the insight anyways of, of uh, what's my, I, I have a better understanding of my purpose as an artist and it's deeper than uh, the music. You feel what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I, I get carried away with the talking sometimes, but we just gonna pretend like y'all talking to like a college professor or some shit, a <laughs> philosopher, because <laughs> they gonna get yeah, you long ass astrophysic answers. <laughs> oh yeah, hey, either way, it's all good, you know. Um, and I, I right. also want to say too, you know, in the future, man, any platform I got, you welcome to say, hey Jay, man, I got something to say. You welcome to jump on. You know, we can carve out some more time for you know for future things. I'm I'm all for it, man. I I also want to say too with this particular show, I, it wasn't as promoted as well as you know some of the other shows I've had because of, I recently had a, a, a you know a little health situation the past couple of days, so it kind of slowed me up. You know, as far as the m- momentum for this show, so because uh, we usually had the phone lines usually be more jumping than this. <laughs> we. You know, so yeah, I, I mean, it's all good. It's gonna be one of those shows they're gonna be going back through the, this, the catalog, and, and it's just, it's gonna be a gem. So you know, it is what it is. Oh yeah, oh yeah, this is for the archive right here. You know, yeah. And um, <laughs> if everybody everybody listening, it's gonna be on iTunes tomorrow. Well, probably in four hours. Uh, it's gonna be on iTunes, so you know, just download that. And uh, we're also going to put tremendous information about tremendous in the Blacktopia mobile app as well, and uh, in, in Blacktopia.org. And also for y'all that may not know, tremendous is also a member of uh, of the Blacktopia Facebook group as well. And uh, he's been jumping on some posts. I, I you know, I seen him on, seen him comments. Oh, that's tremendous. I, I, yeah, he is in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know? some of those mornings, man, I just be browsing and going through social media, and you know. Some content or topics is more heartfelt or important to the broader, bigger picture of things than others. And uh, I saw two brothers talking about finance on there the other day, and they was basically, you know, they had opposing views on uh, 
wealth distribution and uh, the um, different. They had opposing ideals or views on billionaires. So speaking, one was just basically saying that you know being a, you know billionaires have to have done something right. You know what I'm saying to be become billionaires. And uh, I think the other brother was basically trying to say it makes no sense for people to be a billionaire. You know. And, they, you know, they they opposing views. But one was just like, you know, you hating on billionaires, and the other was just like, well, I'm not. I'm just basically saying it makes no sense for people to let it be billionaires. And, um, that I I just had to chime in on the point of, uh, you know, uh, I I believe, you know, I understand the purpose for everyone to have a right to earn their keep and and amass wealth for their family leave uh, things behind for their children, set up their children and all that stuff. But I did feel the need to share my understanding of what it took to, for a person to become a billionaire and, and how that is actually done. And um, in order for it to be done, um, it has to be done in a way where um, nowadays, I would say the, the, um, the two most extreme ways for a person to become a billionaire is production, retail, warehouse industries, where a company has broad-scaled minimum wage tier worker class on a broad scale, which allows him, the shareholders and the directors, to amass huge profits or in the tech industry where you give away a product for free in exchange for owning a dossier of data on the user, which really basically means the the user, the, the, the user, the respective user is the product. And then you offshore data algorithms and interest on individuals to advertise an industry. Uh, all of the world's billionaires basically accrue their wealth those two ways. Today's billionaires, I mean, billionaires, period. Uh, the only other remaining, that third great area is people, it's a few billionaires in real estate and whatever, things of that nature, old industries, but their, most of their wealth is uh, was acquired through inheritance. I mean, all of the people who we know are self-owned, self uh, made billionaires in their lifetime are either people who amass their wealth off the backs of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of poverty level workers, people who really ain't making more than 33, 30, 35,000 a year, uh, which is like the Waltons who own Walmart or a place like Amazon where you know, you make a little bit more, eighteen, twenty dollars a hour, but your hours still wage off to where you're not making more than forty grand a year. And across the board, hundreds of thousands of workers can get that. Whereas that industry is really type of industry where if things was fair, that billionaire CEO would be a hundred thousand millionaire and each one of his employees would make could make six figures a year. So and and it would still be a hugely profitable business, he would just have maybe seven hundred million opposed to nineteen billion. You know what I'm saying? So that the the the, the devil is in the details. So it's like his it, it, blood ain't being shed. 
but on a real level of the standard of what an industry is supposed to go by, uh, what what is a data scientist supposed to make? What is a, a, a project manager supposed to make? Like he's literally underpaying are these billionaires literally in order to become billionaires to have that much a broader scale of budget has to be underpaying their employees for whatever their employees feel like is worth. You know, these people, you, you know, they make it to where these people don't have to have college educations to work in their factories because they'll make it uh, cross scale training like a KFC or McDonald's, you know, in two weeks, they'll train you what to do your job. Same thing at Walmart. Like you don't have to have a degree to be there, but, you, you, they could still train you the same way and pay you uh, uh, eighty, ninety thousand a year, and you still wouldn't have to have a college degree. But almost every job in America that pays over a certain amount is is safeguarded or thresholded by you needing a, a college degree. So, in order for billionaires to be possible, the, uh, mass scale minimum wage employment, it has to be done on that on the backs of, of that uh, broad group of employers. So um, it's really a form of, um, I want to say, well, it's, a, it's, it's a form of exploitation. A form of, some form of exploitation has to be taking place for a billionaire to be possible for you, to be possible for you to be a billionaire. So basically, that was my contribution to the conversation. And that was just a topic that I felt like it would have been kind of uh, uh, negligent <laughs> to just not share my insight because it was, uh, you know, the brothers didn't really have a purpose on disagreeing. You can still aspire to heights and you can still have a great business model like Amazon, but you could be someone like the CEO of um, a company like, Airbnb, who's a little more, you know, they'll train their employees like real estate agents, but which real estate agents don't need college degrees. You know, they'll go spend three to six months to get a certification to be a real estate agent. And he is a 300 millionaire opposed to a billionaire because of the way he sets his business model up to have a more family oriented on. She, the family who runs that company. So it is it's different levels to it. You may not be as possible I mean as popular and you may not make it to the world's most richest man, uh, top of the list of the world's most richest people, but uh, you can still have more, do more do business on a higher level of morale and it still be possible, still make it chilling. But uh so technically I was just sharing that information because uh, a billion dollars is a lucrative amount of money, and I don't think people really like understand the magnitude and the difference between uh, a million and a billion. So, yeah, yeah. Every oh, now and then, I, I, I do chime in and contribute. Oh yes, oh yes. I remember that was a Money Monday topic. I, I, I want to say something about that as well. Um, I think a lot of people. There's two things. Two things. Uh, I remember that conversation. I think one thing is uh, a lot of our people, we demonize money. We, I mean, we just automatically associate money with greed and evil and sh- being shady. So we just automatically right. just, you know, we knock people that want to, that want more of it, you know, and it's not, and, and with mo- money's not evil. Money's just an energy on its own. You can, right. um, 
I mean, exactly. The more the more money that you make, you can actually do good in the world. It's like uh, money doesn't make you evil. It just pretty much amplifies what who you already are. If you're if you're a grimy exactly. shit person, <laughs> exactly. Like if if like if somebody's already generous and kind, if they have a lot of money, they'll be even more generous and they can they can share the wealth. If if somebody's already an evil person, they can they'll just be more of an evil person because there's a lot of broke people that are shady too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we exactly. don't we, exactly. We that's that's not going. They definitely money is not going to change their heart. They're going to do shady things on a grander scale with, with a lot of money. So you're right about that. Money is just an amplifier. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly, and uh, and another point that I want to uh, add to that is that uh, a lot of people have this scarcity mindset when it comes to money, that they think that billionaires or even even millionaires they think that they're hoarding wealth, and I don't. It's so much money in the world. I don't think it's uh, a possible thing to just hoard the wealth because even with uh, I don't. I I I'm, I'm pardon my ignorance. I think I might say something wrong here. But uh, to my knowledge, is that when people put their when rich people put their money in the bank, that's the ba- that's the money that the people use to lend out to people when they're that's the that's the money because right. the rich people don't touch it, <laughs> you know. Like it's yeah, everybody, there. yeah, it's hard lending money. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, and, and exactly. Oh, go ahead. To, to enhance that too, um, um, that, that that's a brilliant point that you made uh, about. Uh, money not being able to be hoarded. People don't realize that um, the more value uh, or workforce potential that is in a certain market or industry, the more money that's pressed up and produced. So um, a person doesn't have to fight over, for example, we're speaking about these billionaires. There, There isn't there's no it is really kind of a mute point to feel like they're hoarding their money for example because even with what i was trying to say about they could have been a little more uh generous on the pay scale range uh for how they catapult themselves into that uh earning tier quickly those particular case points that i used at the same time, um, the owner of Amazon or the owner of um, I'm sure Berkshire Hathaway being billionaires doesn't take money out of circulation. So you know you can you can go and create value and wealth in any other industry and form, and uh, uh, just as easy and just as effectively. And you're right about. It, it takes a lot of money to do things, great or bad. So the uh, the greater the responsibility, you know, the greater the justification of accumulation of wealth. I mean, like if you're a company as big as Amazon and you're responsible for over 50% of the world's shipments or at least transactions, then your infrastructure, your, the reliability of that infrastructure the, the effectiveness and speed of that infrastructure has is important and it's essential and it, it takes resources and money to maintain and uh, those that that type of uh, uh, endeavor of that magnitude and the upkeep. So it's definitely not something that just takes care of itself. So 
the there is uh, the 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 greater the contribution to society, or the greater the rely the 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 greater the reliance society has on your service of good. You know, uh, more power and wealth to you, the more justification of accumulation of wealth. You and your shareholders, and your partners, uh, will will be justified in accumulating, uh, which is where raising money comes into play all these different things when you go public or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really about how money, uh, the wealth is accumulated and, and, and uh, people don't really have an understanding on how easy it is for money to be circulated. So what I was trying to bring to the attention, what I was ultimately trying to get at that I don't even think I could, I got it in that thread, a uh, comment thread of that post was that before people see before people get inspired by someone in such a fashion that they, in such a manner that they fashion their plans and their goals behind that person to understand the, 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 the possibility of getting to that same goal. And that some people um, see someone become a billionaire who may have became a billionaire off of uh, buying out not even buying out, or forcing uh, smaller mom and pop stores out of business, and uh, buying wholesale on a broad enough scale to get each unit on such a cheap dollar that you can't under uh, cut all your competitors with the price. Uh, all the different things that it takes to do those things for a certain person that reach their goal, not necessarily going to be applicable to you in your certain field or industry. So, and a lot of times when people try to like concrete mold themselves behind someone, they miss out on the opportunities that they have right before them with what they're doing to make history or even be the billionaire in that field because everyone gets there in different ways. So uh, that's something that you, 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 you might want to kind of keep in mind. I, there's so many endless possibilities for business opportunities in the black community that no matter how brilliant one person is or how clever they are, creative they are with coming up with those ideas or even recognizing it, there are far too many for one person to partake in. And, and not, you know, you, even if you can see business opportunity in industries, that's not your field or of expertise. Um, there are so many ways that, um, Black people could amass wealth off of our likes and desires and uh, capitalizing off of that or uh, even seeing voids and um, uh, uh, desires or demands that are being met in certain industries and fields. Um, I was ultimately trying to get to pointing out that because most of the ways that we see people get wealthy uh, in America on the bigger scales, like in the tech industry, Bill Gates and the Jeff Bezos. Those people almost always, like Jeff Bezos built Amazon from the ground up, but it was a family. And then you have Bill Gates who built Microsoft and licensed it to IBM, but his mother was uh, a senior management at IBM at that time. He was in college and built it. So all these little key things are, are, that are instrumental in 
you doing business on a level where you literally raise tens of millions of dollars before you out the gate or even got a direct pivot to a corporation that you don't really have to worry about swindling you because one of your parents is and senior management at that corporation or whatever. A lot of these things are, a lot of these, there are small details to these people's successes that's incremental in them being who they are. It's not really applicable to our environment, but the, on the same scale, there are scenarios that don't exist in their upbringing in ours that can be exploited the same way. And, um, um, I always try to point out the difference in how businesses are built by different business owners of the different ethnicities, like all these black record labels, like from Motown all the way up to Cash Money Records today, resources in the backs of one or two people, like one CEO. If you see Republic Records or Big Machine Records with Scooter Braun, Scooter, whatever their brother name is, who got Taylor Swift signed, these companies come to the table with these record companies already having family members, have, having millions of dollars of funding from out the gate. So when a company like Motown or Stack Records or Rap a Lot or Cash Money or No Limit competes with these people, that speaks to the brilliance and the, the power of the individual mind of in the black community that are going up against collectives, uh, groups of shareholders. You know, when, when Nike is formed, there's like fucking 50 shareholders. You know what I'm saying? All putting 10,000 down to get the bank to match or something like that, which a hundred shareholders, you know, versus the four brothers at FUBU and, and all the different odds, that are like systematically set up against you, you got to understand like the mass scale of biz potential business that we could do as black people. If we did form a corporation where actually a hundred plus black people got put 10,000 in the pot for people, we don't do things on that. We, our circles never that big. There's never a circle that big with that much trust. You may could get two or three family members or even a few brothers from a grandmama all trickling down to some third generations, you can get some things done, but people going to be raising a hundred here. Somebody put 5,000 there, 200 here. I'm talking about like the way real corporations are built. You got like person like Bill Gates or whoever started Nike, they start Microsoft. They, they selling shares. You, they get about a hundred people put 10,000 it down to match their 10 to actually go to the bank, to actually get money to play real big ball. And we know we've never, none of, America's historical black businesses have ever been built on the equal level of every other, or at least um, the American, the white American businesses get done. And most of the time, those people are German or Jewish or coming from a community that's more ethnic than white comes off to us. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, th those things, understanding that I think a lot of more fraternities of brothers or sororities or sisters or families would take more chances with each other and uh, establish stronger bonds of trust and get out here when they see the opportunity that's there that is missed because we don't do business on that broad of a scale. So if we really wanted to do a black bank or if we just really wanted to just 
have the number one fashion uh, line that's, that's owned by black, but it competes with Fendi or Gucci. Like Fendi or Gucci literally have, ten, you know, 100 shareholders bringing 10,000 to the table type of thing. And that's like, it's nothing to do in France or whatever, but it's something that we all know the uh, the issues why that has not been allowed to take place. It was it 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 it, it, it was attempted in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the in the nineteen thirties, and all these different things. But you know it, whether they were it was uh you know stopped by external forces or it, it didn't get off the ground because of internal issues. There are a lot of opportunities that uh, for money making that. We don't even have to, you know, we can still be that one man or two, uh, two man uh, company starting to get and get things done. But um, it's just so much brilliance and potential to make history out here because every time history has been made, there's never been a hundred minds behind a brand, a black brand or a black business. There's always one or two people, a small circle of people getting things done and they manage to amass uh a workforce to, to behind them of support and uh, uh, workers and brilliant minds to get things done. Whereas by the time Nike, KFC, and them are taking applications, the the, the company itself is a li- it feels like a living, breathing entity. They got whole booklets to pass out, whole logos on the side of buildings to where the individual owners don't. They've hired people to hire people. So you're so uh, by the time it, it gets in your face. It, it, didn't, it didn't separate it so far from the owners that it, the whole aura of professionalism been set up. We we don't have that machine to get things popping like that. So when you see a black fashion company, a black fashion brand that has a chain of stores across Southeast America, or you have a this is this old food in a couple of cities, or you have a, a, um, a food uh, a food a restaurant that you see as a black chain, you really got to give it up to them and give them their kudos because you have to understand that um, even if they have an impeccable credit and they had a house deed to put up, uh, Bill Gates put up his house deed with 100 backing shareholders, putting 10000 behind them. So it's still, when you see a successful black business, they, they've reached that height of success and, and, and uh, stood in the face of so many odds that it's, it's just Amazing um, that 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 a, a company could succeed of that scale because you never see that in another community. Uh, how many? You, there there are very few, as many Chinese corner stores and beauty salons and ch- uh, liquor stores that we see across America. Very few Asian families have made chains out of them. Have made you get what I'm saying? So even if they have the funding of the backing loans from the government uh, and whatever. They have family members they can bring over here to uh, dedicate endless amount of hours. There aren't any chains of, you know, um, national chains of these corner stores or things of that nature, even with the Arabs, or the Chinese or the Arabs. So they don't even do with them endless decades of money of being being given those positions by uh, the government in our communities managed to do with those businesses what we do with the companies that we start with no government backing. Now, even if we have great individual credit, 
Very few of us have the political ties to get grants from the government and all these different things. So understanding that, um, just, you know, take take your opportunity uh, and, and the situation that you have before you're serious because uh, you would be surprised the intellectual ingenuity and uh, creativity that we have innate within all of us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, tremendous. I want to say that uh, Blog Talk Radio wraps us up at at 11. So we're going we're gonna to say some final things, and we're going to uh, wrap it up. But you, you dropped a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge tonight. You know, we really appreciate it. And uh, and I also want to add, too, uh, with this. Oh, yes, you're welcome. Um, I want to add, too, what you were saying, too, uh, uh, with, with us as black people. You know, that's one of the reasons why I created Blacktopia is for we, you know, so we can uh, kind of teach the importance of economic empowerment, so we can create our own ecosystem. And you know, we always call each other kings and queens, right? Oh, you're king. Hello, queen. Hello, king. But right. we, uh, but we, but we, but we want to own being broke and downtrodden and having nothing, you know. And, and there's no, there's no real broke kings. You know, there's, there's no hey, poor kings. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Hey man, I'm gonna say this thing takes 15 seconds. I don't agree with everything Akon says or even does for that nature, but you have to commend a brother for what he's doing with the electricity across the, the several countries in Africa because he's showing that the stronghold, the little white shadow, white invisible hand that's over all of us, that glass ceiling, really don't exist. And that all these black celebrities with all these hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever are really scary. Negroes are either sellouts because he's proven that any of them could have done that same thing or been with invested mm-hmm. into Africa and capitalized off situations and, and, and assassinations or, you know, they're just puppets. They literally would have maybe gotten their situation pulled from under them if they endeavored involved in those type of things. But he's proving what we're, what Blacktopia stands for, what I was just speaking on, the potential for change or just, bringing Africa up to speed or even focusing on digital literacy within America in our communities. So many endless opportunities to be lucrative and you can make a social change. So, yeah, you know, don't be afraid to make a, you know, do something different and and really contribute to betterment of the world uh, in your corner of the world. Yes, indeed. I I want I really want to expand more on that, but I know we're running out of time. Uh, JT, is there anything <laughs> you want to shout out? Anything you want to say before we uh before we go? JT, you still there? We've got to do a part two to this interview, man. It was a dope interview. Um, you <laughs> yes. dropped a lot of wisdom and gems, man. We got to do this again for real. Definitely. Yeah, I'm hey, let me know. Definitely, hey, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna do that, indeed. Uh, all right, uh, and Trey Mendes, are there any uh, links or any websites, anything you want to uh, plug right quick before it wraps up? Labfreak.com, short for laboratory frequency. L A B F R E Q dot com. Everybody want to get up to speed on different tools to help you out in your creative endeavors, whether it's writing a book, making music, video editing and the software and the hardware and the devices that can help you accomplish those goals. I have a media publication that called Curates, P 
product reviews and gives insights on the workflows and the different creative industries. So you might want to check that out. That's Lab Free. Definitely, definitely. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. All right, and also uh, inbox me that link as well too, so I can uh, blast that out. All right, uh, y'all don't have to go home, but you got to get off this thing. Good night. Peace. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 